As I start my message today, um, I want to begin with some fun, right? Don't you guys want to have some fun? I hope you do, because we're going to have some fun today. And, um, and what I've done is I have prepared um, my top 10, a top 10 list, a top 10 oxymorons, and I have even added into my oxymoron list of my top 10 oxymorons, um, some educational oxymorons. Now, if you've never heard the word oxymoron before, I put the, uh, the definition of an oxymoron up. An oxymoron is a figure of speech that juxtaposes concepts with opposite meanings within a word or phrase that is a self-contradiction. Okay? Whew, that's a mouthful. So, uh, the most common oxymoron is jumbo shrimp, right? It's, it's jumbo but it's a shrimp, right? And so, that's the most common. But jumbo shrimp, as, a, as great as an oxymoron as that is, it doesn't even crack my top ten. Audience participation, if you think that the oxymoron is a good one, you like it, you can do a, a little golf applause like this. Everybody practice with me. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> or, or you can do a hearty, uh, amen, pastor, right? Just a, amen. And practice with me. Say Amen. Ah, that's good. Okay, so I'm going to share with you Pastor Gordon's top 10 oxymorons with some educational oxymorons mixed in, okay? Number 10, the common uh, phrase that Charlie Brown would say, ready? He says what? Number 10? Good grief, right? That's an oxymoron. Is it good or is it grief? I don't expect too much applause from 10, but when we get close to 1... I think you guys are going to like it. Okay, number 10. Uh, number 9, the first educational oxymoron. Ready? Number 9, homeschool. That's an oxymoron, right? Isn't that right? Homeschool. How many homeschoolers in our church today? I see a couple. That's great. Homeschool. Okay, homeschool is an oxymoron. Uh, number 8, this is what Rochelle said to me when we were in college when I asked her out on a date. She said... Definitely, maybe. <laughs> hmm. She said, definitely, maybe. Uh, I got a couple of applause lines there. Good. Uh, number seven. This was the, uh, the appropriate dress when I was in junior high. We all wore tight slacks back then. We did. <laughs> Anybody remember the brand Angel Flights with the bell bottoms? Eddie. Angel flights, that's what I used to wear. They were tight slacks, I tell you. <laughs> Number six is what I call the, uh, the athlete's cologne. This is the athlete's cologne. Number six, icy hot. Yeah. <laughs> he's, somebody on the basketball team walks by. Oh, yeah, he's on the, it's an athlete right there. He smells like icy hot. Okay, number five, this one you've got to think about, okay? This one you've got to think about. Show us number five. The number top five oxymoron is the word abbreviation. Anybody get it? Yeah. Oh, thank you, Jamie. Thank you. I, I see those hands. I see the claps. Yes, thank you. The reason why, for those of you you don't know this is an oxymoron, is because it's a long word that means a shortened form of a word or phrase. That's why it's an oxymoron. Okay. Number four. Oh, I think I might get some claps on this one. No amens, though. <laughs> Number four, this is the move that professional wrestlers often use. They use a... 
a headbutt, right? Boom. <laughs> or you can do the opposite of the word, which is Beavis's best friend. But some words were never meant to be said in church. Any claps? Thank you. <laughs> okay, we're getting down to the, to the really good ones now. Number three is an educational oxymoron again. And number three is a student teacher. How many student teachers are here? Yes, I see your hands. You guys are oxymorons. Because <laughs> you're a student teacher. You're smart people. Okay, now the last two are great. I expect some hearty amens on this one. Um, number two, you've got to be a little bit older, maybe 30 years old and older to really, really get it. If you're too young, you, you, this might just go right over your head. But the number two oxymoron on my list is Microsoft Works. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah? The, the young people, do you guys understand that one? That's an old program that Microsoft used to put out. They don't do it anymore because it didn't work. <laughs> and then this one, I, I want to hear some amens on this one because I know many of you join me in, in, in my sentiment on this last oxymoron. Pastor Gordon's number one oxymoron? Yeah. Okay, amen? Amen? Oh, this is good. Well, yeah, fun run. Who does that, right? <laughs> uh, well, I share my top ten oxymorons with you because the idea of an oxymoron is a word that's like, like a word that's upside down, like fun run, right? <laughs> it, it's, it's a word that, that's kind of a contradiction, but it's a word that, that's kind of an upside down word. And... Um, and the idea that I was thinking about as I was preparing today's message was that this whole idea of this being upside down is a way that people often describe what Jesus taught. Because people would look at the, hear the things that Jesus taught and they would say, Jesus is teaching like the, the messages are, are like, a, like from an upside down kingdom almost. The, the, and especially in, in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, which we call the Sermon on the Mount, the things that Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount, it, it, it's upside down because so often when you read the things that Jesus taught there, it, it's contrasting the values of the world with the values of the kingdom of God. And so we're going to take a look at uh, Matthew Chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to open it up to Matthew chapter 5. And, um, and we're going to look at the first part of Matthew chapter 5. In, in, in the Bible, you'll find it. It's called the Beatitudes. And, and the word Beatitude simply means blessed. So when you think of someone being blessed, what comes to mind for you, right? Oh, so-and-so is so blessed, and, and, and you, you can... Fill in the blanks. The Beatitudes that Jesus teaches here, he begins each Beatitude with the words, blessed are, and then he, he says what the blessed people are. So that's why we say Beatitudes mean blessed. Now, I, I wanted to take it one step further, and uh, I went to Google, 
just to see what Google had to say. And I typed in Beatitudes definition. And the definition that I got back from Google for the word beatitude, which we call blessing, right? The, the, you, can, you can do it if you want real quick. Just You got your cell phone or your smartphone on Google. Type define beatitude. The definition Google gives is supreme blessedness. Like, boom, right? Not just a blessing, but supreme blessings. So I, I began to think, well, what, what's a supreme blessing, right? And I thought, oh, I know what people in the world would say a supreme blessing. More than just a blessing. It's about three weeks ago, I drive down um, Adobe Falls every, every day, come into work and come into church. And at the end of Adobe Falls, there are, there's a billboard up there that shows the lottery uh, winnings, right? And three and a half weeks ago, for the lottery, it was clipping at $1.5 billion, right? And a supreme blessing would be the person in South Carolina that won the $1.5 billion lottery winning. Would you guys say that that's a supreme blessing? People in the world would say, that, that's not just a blessing. Right now, I think it's like $67 million. If you want that, that would be a blessing. <laughs> but the person that won the 1.5 billion dollar uh, lottery, their their actual take, you know, um, award or reward to win that was in the area of 800 million dollars, right? So it's only at 35 million now. This person won 800 million dollars. People would say that's a supreme blessing. And I was thinking, another example of what the world would consider a supreme blessing, say amen if you guys agree with me, is getting two free front row tickets to the Taylor Swift concert. Amen? One ticket you would sell for $1.5 billion, and the other you use to go see the show, right? Is that a supreme blessing? Can I get an amen? Amen, right. And so, that's what, that's what the world considers blessing or supreme blessing, right? To get two front row tickets to the Taylor Swift concert and sell one of them for $1.5 billion. But in the Bible, the Beatitudes that Jesus teaches, or what Google would call the supreme blessings according to Jesus. They're found in Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 to 12. Let me read them for you. And as I read them, listen to the contrast, some might say the contradiction, to what Jesus calls a blessing and what the world sees as a blessing. Hear the word of the Lord. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, 
for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me, Jesus says. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Wow. You see the contrast there? The contrast of the supreme blessing that Jesus teaches compared to what the world would consider a supreme blessing. They're opposites of one another. Because Jesus' teaching, Jesus' teaching is this upside down kingdom. When the world looks at it, they go, Poor in spirit is being blessing? Is that a blessing? To, 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 to be someone who mourns? Not really a blessing. People in the world, when they see this list that Jesus compiles as blessings, they, they say, those aren't people who are blessed. They're people who are afflicted. <laughs> right? It's, it's not so much a blessing. But Jesus, Jesus says, that these people are blessed. And the reason Jesus calls them blessed is because people who are described in these Beatitudes, they reflect the life of Jesus. They reflect the life of Jesus. Jesus was all of these things that he taught our blessedness, the Beatitudes. The, those, those attributes are, are what Jesus owns. That's who he is. So, I want to share with you a couple of points that I want you to take away from today's message. My first point is that the Beatitudes are declarations of God's grace. That's what they are. They're decor- declarations of God's grace. And what I mean by that is, those people who the Beatitudes they describe, they're, they're the recipients of the grace of God. The word grace means unmerited favor. The people who Jesus describes in the Beatitudes, the favor of God rests on them. And what a blessing that is. And, and you read of that favor coming on people. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. There's the blessing. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. There's the grace. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. So with every blessing comes the grace of God. And the blessing is not anything the world would think is a blessing, but the blessing comes as a gift of grace because the people that these Beatitudes describe all reflect Jesus. And so, something that is important to know that that God is the one who gives the grace and the favor. And, And God gives the grace and the favor not because these people are good and deserving in any way, 
See, that's the antithesis of grace. Grace is given not when we deserve it. Grace is undeserved merit. An undeserved favor. And so God is the generous giver of the grace that he gives. And so it's not because people are good that we receive God's grace. It's because God is good and he is generous and he gives grace. And so the first point is that the Beatitudes are declarations of God's grace. The second point I share with you today is that these Beatitudes that Jesus shares, they're not rules. They're not rules to be kept. It's not like the Ten Commandments that, that, that the, the Jews were supposed to obey, that we're all supposed to obey. These are not rules. Jesus didn't command us to obey the Beatitudes. He didn't say, if you obey them, then you will receive this. You notice that? He didn't say, if you're poor in spirit, then the kingdom of God is yours. He didn't say, if you mourn, then you will be comforted. He didn't say any of that. He just declared it. Blessed are you when you are persecuted because of me. Yours is the kingdom of heaven. He says that. And so the second point is that the Beatitudes, they're, they're not rules to be kept. There's no if-then statements in the Beatitudes. Read it again, and you will find that it's not there. Instead, we said this earlier, the Beatitudes are an expression of God's grace given freely to those who reflect Jesus, who have placed their faith in Jesus. And these Beatitudes, they show how God displays his grace, his divine favor in the everyday lives of people. This is so important for us to understand. Because when you think of this supreme blessedness that the world has to offer, winning, even winning this $35 million lottery, who, who gets to experience that? This $1.5 billion lottery. Do you know how many winners there were? This one. Who gets tickets, front row tickets, given freely that you can sell one for $1.5 billion and go to the... Who gets that? I know there are a few people in here that did see Taylor Swift in concert. I'll point you out right now. No. <laughs> but, I mean, who gets that? a very, very, very few people will ever experience the supreme blessing that the world has to offer. But here's the good news, church. The supreme blessing of Jesus, everyone has the offer. Everyone has the opportunity to experience it and receive it. Who in here has never mourned before? We all have. Who, who in here has, has never tried to be a peacemaker? We, we, at some point in our lives, we all have. We all lived into some of these beatitudes. And because of that, we have access to the amazing grace of God. This, this favor that God has to give every single one of us. 
the world's definition of a supreme blessing is extremely rare. In a, in a crowd this size, barely a single person would know what the world's supreme blessing is. But every single person in here can experience the supreme blessing that comes from Jesus. The third point of Jesus's uh, of, of my sermon today is that Jesus' supreme blessing is available to all people. Right? That's the third point that I wanted to really reiterate to you. It's not just a select few born into nobility or wealth. The Beatitudes do something so beautifully. They contrast success and power of the earthly kingdom with the kingdom of God. See, the kingdom of this world will look at political power. The kingdom of this world will look at the financial power. They will look at wealth and high position. People with with even physical power. Big, strong people, right? And, 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 And you contrast that with the kind of power that the kingdom of God offers to us. And it's not because we're, we're popular. Or it's not because we, we are in politics. It's not because we have high position. But the power of God comes. <laughs> the power of God comes through Jesus to those who obey his word. Jesus so beautifully demonstrates the power of the kingdom of God in his own life and in how he taught his disciples. And and I have two beautiful examples to share with you before we wrap this up. A great example of Jesus putting the Beatitudes into action is found in Matthew chapter 20. And in Matthew chapter 20 is the story of a mother of two of Jesus' disciples coming to Jesus to ask for a favor. Some of you may recognize the story from reading the Bible. And a mother comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, will you do me a favor? And Jesus, what do you want me to do for you? And she says to Jesus, will you allow two of my sons to sit at your left and your right hand when you come into your kingdom? You see what she wanted? She wanted power for her two boys, right? She wanted them to have status because she sees power and status the way the world sees it. And Jesus says, you you don't know what you're asking for. What what I'm going to call for is, is something that I'm not sure they can give it. And the two disciples were right there. Oh, Lord, we'll do it. Whatever it is, we'll do it. Because they wanted that position of power. And then, the other ten disciples, see Jesus had twelve disciples, the other ten disciples walk in on this, and they hear what's going on, and they're upset, naturally. What, who are you to want to get the power and, and rule over us, right? And so, in Matthew chapter 20, beginning at verse 24, this is how it all plays out. When the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. And then Jesus calls them together and says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them 
and their high officials exercise authority over them. And Jesus says, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be the first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The the world will judge supreme blessedness by who serves them. That's what everybody's trying to get at. Who, who, Who can I get to serve me? And Jesus says, that's not going to be our way. Instead, we're going to take the mantle of serving others because that's the road to greatness. That is the way of blessing. And then Jesus not only teaches them, but he does it. And the one thing, not the one thing, one of the things that I love so much about Jesus is this. Jesus never, ever asks his disciples, us, to do anything that he himself doesn't first do. You read your Bible, and all of the hard things that Jesus calls forth from his disciples, like learning to serve others first, as he just did, Jesus does. When Jesus calls people to forgive one another while hanging on the cross, what is one of his last prayers? Looking down at the people who just nailed his hands and feet to the cross, Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And in John chapter 13 is another powerful example of Jesus being the example of the very things that he teaches In John chapter 13 is the story of Jesus washing his disciples' feet. And you've got to understand the culture and the context to really, really get at understanding this message. Jesus and his disciples were preparing to celebrate the Passover feast. And they weren't at anybody's home per se, but they got a room where, where they prepared for this amazing Passover feast. And all the food was prepared and everybody was getting ready. And in our minds, we're thinking that they're all sitting on tables like this. But that wasn't so. They all laid down on the floor around the food. And so you understand that that's how they, they sat and ate. And in Jesus' day, it was important that, that there, ceremonially you were clean before you ate. And so before you came into the home, if you were at my home or if I came to your home, you would, because everyone walked everywhere, your feet would be dusty, everybody wore sandals. And and if I came to your home, you would offer your servant or your youngest child to wash my feet before I came into your home. Because when we reclined and ate, my feet would be near you. (laughs) And you wouldn't want that to be dirty. The disciples are ready to eat. The food is made, but no one was washed. And not a single disciple was willing to lower themselves to wash the other person's feet. 
So Jesus takes off his robe, puts on a towel around his waist, grabs a bucket, fills it with water, and he begins to wash his disciples' feet. (laughs) This, This is the Jesus who teaches us about the Beatitudes, the way to blessing. I'm, I'm, I, I'm tempted to tell you more about the story, but that's not where my sermon goes. So I'm going to stick to my notes here. When Jesus got done washing his disciples' feet, in John chapter 13, verse 12, it says this, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and he returned to the place and he says, do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. Truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. And listen to verse 17. Now that you know these things, you'll be, what, if you do them? You'll be blessed supremely. Because this is the heart of Jesus. The blessing of Jesus doesn't come with power or prestige. It's not in who you get to serve you. (laughs) No, It's who you get the privilege to serve. We serve God. And the call of God in the kingdom that he has is for us to serve one another. And you know, people in the world call this the upside-down teaching of Jesus' kingdom. I say they're wrong. And I say to you, this is the right side up teaching of Jesus. And the world has it upside down. Because this is the way that God intended that his people to live their lives. In service to him and in service to one another. And I thank God for Jesus being our example. And can I tell you one more thing? As I wrap up now, as I look at the people who serve in education, you who are here today, do you know what I see? I see the divine grace of God at work in and through you. No one goes into education to get rich. Amen? (laughs) All the educators. Amen. Yes. (laughs) No one goes into education to be popular or get famous or have power. People serve in education because you realize that the work that you do is transforming to the students that you serve. That's why you're in it. Because you get the privilege to teach them and serve them forming their character, developing perseverance and grit 
in their lives. You're transforming them to help make this world a better place. You have a challenging job, people in education, and you have an important role to play in our culture and in our society. You never get the accolades that you deserve. But you sure get criticized by a lot of people. And I want you to know that we see you, we pray for you, and this is why we do what we do today, to let you know we stand beside you, we support you and your students, and we want you to know that what you do makes such a huge difference. And the work that you do in Mission Church is here to pray for you and come alongside you and serve in whatever way that we can. Because we want to see the right side up kingdom at work in this world. Through the church, through the people, into the students whose lives we get the privilege to shape and serve. So my prayer today is that you will be blessed, supremely blessed in Jesus' name, as you selflessly love and serve with compassion the students, and prepare them one day for themselves to experience the supreme blessing of Jesus as they live into the right side up kingdom of God. Will you bow your heads with me today? Father in heaven, thank you. <sighs> thank you for your word that teaches us what your kingdom is all about. And we have our values in this church because of what you taught here. That the values that you have for this right side up kingdom is the value of honoring you, Lord God, by obeying what you taught and in how we serve and in who we serve. Not to be people who want to be served and to be misunderstood because we see the world and, and desire the things of it. No, we desire to be supremely blessed by you more than anything else. And so I pray, dear God, for all who are here today, that your divine grace the favor that comes from heaven would fall on your people here, our students and the people who are in education for this entire church. God, it's nothing that we deserve. We're not that good, but you, <laughs> you are so good. And as you pour out, Lord God, your favor, we pray, Lord God, that we can live into that and share that favor with the world. I pray, Father in heaven, for the educators and the people in the church today that are part of education, that you prepare them now for a great year ahead. Sustain them. Strengthen them. Give them, Lord God, your wisdom and your discernment, Lord God. And help them to help those in their classrooms and schools. I pray for our students today. So nice to sit with our youth and the church in the front row with me. What a blessing as the pastor to have them surround me before I preach. 
Thank you for our college students that have returned from a long summer break, that you would prepare all of our students, Lord God, for the, the, the year ahead for their education. We pray for Mission Nazarene Preschools. We pray, Lord God, that you would fill the, the roles of the teachers, Lord God, that we need here, and that you would bless, supremely bless, our teachers and the families that are part of our school. Thank you for each one. May they know how loved and appreciated they are. And today as we close, I I just want to pray again for the students that will receive the school supplies and backpacks that we are collected and are sharing. Lord, may these students, may their lives be touched. May one thing be checked off the list that they need and they don't have to worry about it anymore. And may they know that this gift comes from you. So thank you, dear God, for today. Lord, we pray that our lives truly, truly honor you. And may your beatitude, your blessing, be upon all who are here today. We love you in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.